The following audio is from Sacred City Church. For more information, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. So we're going to head go, get started. We are in the middle of our Sacred City DNA series. Actually, we're towards the end. Next week will be our last week in this series. And we're just studying what does it mean to be Sacred City? What does it mean to be a member here? What is, it, what is our church about? Um, what is the DNA of this, of this body here? And that's, that's what we've been studying. Um, we talked about the last few weeks, what is the gospel? What is mission? We've talked about what has God done for us? Who has he made us into? What has he made us into? How has he made us? Um, that we are, we have the identities, we say, of family. We're the children of God. Um, we are missionaries sent by God to renew all of creation, like our big brother, Jesus Christ, has done. Uh, we are servants. We serve each other as a way of life. And then we're learners. Last week we talked about what does it mean to be a learner? Constantly learning, constantly um, developing ourselves and taking responsibility for the development of others and making disciples as well. And now today it's interesting. This is what um, a lot of you are probably, you've probably been saying, okay, get to what I need to do, Justin. Get to what I need to do. Give me something to go do. Well, you're going to get some things to kind of go do now. We've been very specific about starting with our identities and now we're moving into our rhythms. Many times when people preach, they preach, now just go do this. And that tends to lean and fall into moralism where you believe if I pray enough, if I serve enough, if I'm on mission enough, if I give enough, then I'll be more lovely to God. Then I'll be more worthy to God. Then I'll be more attractive to God. That somehow God judges us based upon our performance, past, present, or future performance. Many of us say, well, I know God doesn't judge me. I'm saved by grace, thank God. But then we live like we're judged on our future performance. We live like God will be happy with me if I go to church enough and pray enough and serve enough and read the Bible enough. And somehow we, we tend to live in this realm of, I know God is kind of angry at me because I'm not reading my Bible. So that's just how I am. I'm an idiot. I know. God thinks I'm an idiot. He's kind of like, come on, kid, get it together. It's kind of like God's opinion about me, an attitude about me. Many of us live in this reality of life that we think God is up there going like, oh, please get your stuff together. Right? And that's the furthest thing from the truth. God is completely satisfied with you and happy with you because you're in Christ or if you're in Christ. That you are judged based solely on Christ's performance and not on your own whatsoever. So you are not, the rhythms we're going to talk about today, you're not performing for God's good graces. You're not performing for God's love. No, no, no. You are so loved and it frees us to perform. I don't even like the word perform. It frees us to live a certain way with natural rhythms. They flow out of our identity. So I want you to hear that this morning. This is not, I'm Justin is not saying, go act like a Christian. Man. Justin is not saying, go act like a Christian today. I'm very much reminding you of who you are, who Christ has made you to be, what he's done for you in the gospel. And now out of love, you get to respond this way. Because of what God has done this is who you are. Because this is who you are, this is now 
how we live. I'm going to pray. Father, I thank you for your grace given, given to us in Jesus Christ. I thank you for an opportunity to come before you this morning and repent of our sins. Uh, we've walked away from you many times this week and chosen our own path. Uh, we choose darkness over light all the time. Um, we, we choose to be entertained by other things and not uh, enjoy you and rejoice in you. And, and Father, we act like we need to make you happy. We act like we need to prove ourselves to you. And that is not true. That is anti-gospel. That is anti-grace. Jesus Christ tells us that you are infinitely happy. That he has, ple- he has pleased you. You looked at him and said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And now through a gift of grace and the sacrifice that he paid on the cross, you have given us his righteousness. We have the same standing as that of Jesus Christ with you right now. So I thank you that you're pleased with us, that you're happy with us, you're overjoyed with us in Christ. Pray that you would anoint my mind to think your thoughts, you'd anoint my voice to speak your words, and you'd anoint the hearers this morning to hear clearly. Jesus said often, having ears they don't hear, having eyes they don't see. Father, grant us the opportunity to hear and the ability to see. In Jesus' name, amen. That's what we're going to do. We chose the name Sacred City because we wanted to reinforce the fact that all of life is sacred. There can be no division between sacred and secular. You don't have this real life when you live out there and then you kind of have a church life here. That's a false dichotomy. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes to whom we must give account, Hebrews says. This means that our gospel identities who God has made us into, what God has done on our behalf, not what we have done, our gospel identities produce gospel rhythms. Okay, What God has done in us naturally produces gospel rhythms in the context of everyday life. We start talking about our gospel rhythms, and one of the first things you're going to notice here, this is great. Many people come into the church and they're like, wow, this is like a totally different culture. I have to learn to do all these weird new things. And that's not the case. Um, There's a lot going on right now about Scientology. uh, Because some popular culture broke up. Or some popular couple broke up. And Scientology, I have a problem with anyone who's going to base their eternity on a religion that was founded in 1960. Okay? There's a lot of problems with that. Okay? But the whole foundation of this is, is this. You've got it in you. You can do it. You can summon something from within you, and you, know, you can overcome every obstacle in your life. That's the foundation of Scientology. There's a lot of stuff that goes into it, but it's you have the power within you to live a certain way. I don't know how they get any women to do this. Part of this thing, you, you can't scream during childbirth. Are you kidding me? My wife is the most subdued and quiet woman on the face of the planet, and she had me in a headlock threatening my life. Right? And part of it is you can't, they need, you know, they, they want to give birth on the water, and they come into tranquility. And it's like, are you living in la-la land? This earth is nothing but, it is not tranquil. It's anything but tranquil. 
You're being born into a war zone. You're being born into decay and turmoil and sickness and disease and poverty. And Scientology just wants to completely dismiss that and say, no, that's all inside your head. Just go in your head and you can create your universe. You can create what you want to exist. Many religions function in this mentality, but they just go about it in a different way. Christianity is completely different. Christianity is normal. It makes sense with our mind. It makes sense with the normal rhythms of life. It answers questions that we're asking. There's a place for pain. There's a place for sickness. There's a place for struggle. There's hope in the future that all of those things will pay off, that all of those things will be gone, that we have a future in heaven and in the new creation where there will be no more weeping, that every lie that's been told about us will come to, the, the truth will be made known. We have a day of reckoning coming where every child molester and every person that's gone, every murderer and every thief and every person that's gone undetected by natural means will be laid bare before our our God. And the scales will be accounted. So one of the first things you're going to notice today as we start talking about what does the rhythms of a Christian look like? What are the rhythms of a Christian and, and us at Sacred City? What does it look like for us? And you're going to be you're going to be, you're going to be, you should be shocked with, whoa, those are normal. And they are. I'm going to give you three things. Number one, they're normal. Our rhythms, they're normal. Number two, they're timeless. I have a problem with churches that think they have to reinvent the wheel and people that think they have to reinvent the wheel. We've got this newest thing. What are you talking about, newest thing? Our book is 2,000 years old. We should not be coming up with anything fresh and anything new these days. We should be rooted in history. We should, our book is a historical book. Jesus was a historical person. We should be rooted in timeless truth. God created everything. He's not a new God. Right? So they're timeless. You go back 3,000 years, 4,000 years, even before Christ, and people are going to be doing some of these things that we talked about. You go back 1,000 years, people are going to be doing these things that we're going to talk about today. They're natural. They're normal. And lastly, they're universal. I can drop you in any culture on the face of the planet and they're going to be doing these natural rhythms that we're going to talk about today. They're not American, right? They're not Western. They're universal. So it's something that I really... uh, they They should resonate with us as human beings. So today we're going to talk about the first three out of five and we call them listen, celebrate, and eat. And I saved, you know, I saved eating to last because some of you missed breakfast this morning. So I wouldn't put you through torture quite yet. Um, in John 5, 19, we're going to talk about listen here first. In John 5, 19, Jesus says this. It's, it's kind of shocking. He says, I do nothing. Somebody say nothing. Except what I see my father doing. I do nothing. Except, I say nothing except what I hear my father saying. So there's this truth that Jesus Christ was a phenomenal listener. He didn't just create things up on his own. He wasn't like some new, really, you know, inventive self-help guru. Jesus was rooted in his father. Jesus only did what he heard or saw his father doing. And I want you to turn, if you have your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, um, if you have version, the Bible app on your iPad, your iPhone, or Android uh, you can just search Sacred City Church there. All of our liturgy, all of our scriptures uh, will be right there. And you can also follow along in the Bible. Luke 5, verse 15. 
This is one of the most, to me, this is one of the most shocking scriptures. When you're there, say there. Okay, Luke 5.15. But now, this is talking about Jesus, even more, the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and and to be healed of their infirmities. So stop right here. Jesus, what's happening right now, Jesus has been preaching, Jesus has been healing, Jesus has been literally demonstrating the kingdom of God on earth. And what's happening? People are coming to see the show. Right? People are coming to kind of be entertained, to be ministered, to be taught by Jesus. Jesus is speaking only what he hears the Father speaking. So he's speaking God's stuff. He's speaking the words of God. And what's happening? People are coming. Crowds are gathering. We believe that if you preach the word of God and you preach it unadulterated, crowds gather. People come to see. They want to hear what God has to say. This is great. Now listen. What happens when things get busy? In your own life, what happens when the business blows up and you're, you, you know, you're selling widgets as fast as you can make them? Right? Whatever it is you do. Right? What happens when you really get swamped? What happens when the demands of ministry and the demands of missional community life and, and the fight club and drama's breaking out in the family and all? What happens when things really get busy? Well, Jesus, because he only did what he heard the, father do, heard the Father saying or doing, this is crazy. Look what Jesus Christ, the Son of God, does when the demands of life pile up and ministry gets busy. Verse 16, But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. He would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Jesus was a good listener. It didn't, it doesn't say it came naturally. The demands of life. I mean, can you think about this? If you could, if you really right now, if you could heal people, can you imagine as soon as that, that word got out, how many people would be lined up at your front door? And Jesus, and many of us have this some kind of like a guilt complex that if we can help people, somehow it will be not, uh, it will be misusing our gift to take time for silence and solitude. In order for Jesus to do this, he literally has to go, I'm not going to heal you right now. I'm not going to teach you right now. I know you need from me. I know you need another revelation. I know you need another Bible study. I know you need healing. I know you need food. I know you need all these things. But it's more important for me right now to go be with my Father and listen and pray. Jesus Christ, as the perfect Son, was a perfect listener. So too, as children of God, we make regular times. This is what it means right here. This is the rhythm. The rhythm of listening. We make regular times to listen to God both forward and backward. What what does that mean? We listen to God backward through His Word. And we listen to God forward through prayer and His Spirit. It's a rhythm. We're children. We're, we're, we're part of the family of God. What do we do? We listen to God. It's one of the things we do. We listen to God backward and forward. We set aside regular times of silence and solitude to get away like Jesus. Jesus, the omniscient. <laughs> I, this, this, I, I don't get this. I'll be honest. 
He's God, but he retreats for solitude in prayer with his Father. If the Son of God needs fellowship with God and needs to listen to the Father, how much more do we? For me personally, um, I, I do this every single morning. I wake up, I try to wake up before the kids. Most of the time I do. And I get my coffee, get outside, I get my book, I'm reading, I pray, I get to do this for, you know, for a little bit of time. But then what I've had to do, as the demands of ministry, if more people are coming and more people are growing and the demands of ministry are getting greater, one of the things I've had to do is put in my schedule every six weeks a time of silence and solitude where it's either a half day or a full day. I get away, I shut my phone off, I get my Bible, I get my journal, I, I write out a bunch of stuff. I hate doing it. I hate writing stuff down because I'm a vision guy. I want, I'm always in the future, so when I start thinking about the past, I just, I just don't like to slow down enough to do that. But it's, it's important for me as a future guy, as a guy who's moving and shaping and a lot of demands to pull back away. So much for you, moms, busy moms of young kids. I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you do it. It's, it's important for you to, to, to talk to your husband and say, I need some time. And I'm not talking shopping time. I'm talking, go to the coffee shop, get away, spend some time with Jesus, journal, write some stuff out, fellowship with him, listen to him. I've got a whole form of what I do on my, I need structure. So I know some of you just want to write in your journal and pour your feelings out. I write one line, I'm like, "Ah, I got nothing else. So I need this form and I've asked myself questions and how is my vision of God lately? How am I seeing God? Is it appropriate? Is it right? Am I seeing him mean? Seeing as a loving father? How am I doing shepherding my wife? How am I doing with each one of my kids? Where are they at on a scale of one to ten? What are some prayer points I can pray through? How how can we... You know, better, how can I better love my wife? Or how can we better lead our family? What's the missional community look like? I go all through these questions and just ask God and pray and pour out my heart before Him and just try to listen to Him. Many of us, I think, would benefit from that. It's one of the things we do. We're a listener. So we listen backward through His Word and we listen forward through prayer and His Spirit. As His children, we listen to Him. Listening is a gift from our gracious Father. We have the opportunity and ability to hear what God is saying. That's a gift and only possible through His Spirit. The Bible says itself says that the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. That, that o- you can only understand this book by a gracious gift from the Father. If you've ever been reading the Bible and all of a sudden, you know, it might be, look like it's in Hebrew still, and you're reading it, or it looks like it's still in Greek, and you're reading through it, and all of a sudden one verse pops out at you. Whoa! That's the Spirit of God. No man can understand God without the Spirit of God. John 8, John 8, 31 through 32 says this, If you abide in my word, you're my disciples. If you abide in my word. That's listening backwards. As disciples, as family, as missionaries, as servants, as learners, we abide in the word of God. We listen to our Heavenly Father. This is just what disciples do. This is how the family of God lives. We listen to our gracious Heavenly Father and make time for Him often. Now, also, as brothers and sisters, we also listen to each other. At Sacred City, we want to be great listeners. We want to be known as great listeners. Not just we listen, but then we're kind of listening and we're just really preparing a reply. For what they just say, we're just building our rebuttal 
to whatever they're saying. At Sacred City, we want to be great listeners. We take time to listen to other people's stories and then to help them find their lives within God's story. Uh, We spend consistent time listening to God, both backward and forward, and it helps us become better listeners for others. Do you hear that? As we listen, as we listen to God, as we're in His Word, as we're praying, as we're in communion with Him, it's training us and equipping us and teaching us to become better listeners, better equipped listeners for others. We like to say that listening to God teaches us how to listen to others with gospel ears. Now, I'm going to give you a couple examples of this. We are a gospel-centered, missional church. All right? That means we believe everything is sacred. We do ministry wherever we're at. Wherever we're living, that's where we're going to be doing ministry. It's not just only happens on Sunday. We talked a lot about that last week. Um, A few months back, uh, a couple called us and said... uh, they weren't going to the church or anything. They were just new to the area. And they said, hey, we want to um, go, out, go out with you. Go for, go for dinner. I said, all right, cool. Let's do it. So man and I went out for dinner, went down to uh, one of the local um, bars in town or the pubs in town. We're sitting there eating and just having a good time, enjoying conversation, enjoying, you know, talking. And then I don't even remember how I, the boyfriend or whatever brings, brings up, a, you know, uh, something about their relationship. And we start, my wife and I start, you know, gospel ears open, full. We're talking, we're listening. And uh, it comes up that, that the, um, the lady, her, she had been married before and had been a really, really difficult marriage where he was uh, really sick and addicted to um, drugs and there's in a really rough time. And she had reached out and went to a church. And this church said, um, yeah, this is really tough. This is really difficult, but God can heal him. God can fix him. And if you have enough faith, God will heal it. Heal your husband. If you have enough faith, God will clear him of his addiction and um, fix your marriage and, and all these things will, will, will be going great. And I'm listening and I'm like, and, you know, right then I'm ready to preach a sermon as soon as I hear that. Um, but usually, you know, a, a pint of Killian's will slow me down a little bit. So I'm, 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 I'm put the brakes on a little bit. I'm trying to listen with gospel ears. And she goes on to te- say how she, she was giving her money to the church, how she was praying every day, how she was reading her Bible, how she was meeting with the pastor, and how he kept, her husband kept getting worse and worse and worse and worse. And she said, and they just kept telling me, I just kept feeling like it was my fault. If I had more faith, my husband would get fixed. And I looked at her across the table and I said, that is absolute garbage. What that pastor told you is a load of garbage. That's what I said. (laughs) I said, that is not the gospel. I said, God loves you. God is gracious towards you. God is in control of all things. And it's not resting on your, you to muster up enough faith to fix your husband. 
I went on and shit a little bit, some more, some more gospel stuff. And I, I just basically contextualized the gospel for her situation right there. She starts bawling. Waitress gets uncomfortable, right? <laughs> Boyfriend hits me in the leg and goes, that was awesome. <laughs> right? Listening with gospel ears. This week I was meeting with a buddy who doesn't go to church. Uh, we're going through a book together and um, we're meeting at the coffee shop and we start talking about God is judge and how we don't really understand the love of God until we understand that God is judge. Because once we understand that he has to judge us for breaking for sin and for breaking his law, we don't really understand grace until we do that. And we started talking about the stuff and I was telling him a little bit about what I'm preaching and, and he asked me one of those great questions. He's like, um, how do I know where my identity's at? I, I felt like t-ball or something so the coach just lofted it up for me and i'm like slow motion ready how do i know where my identity's at and i said well you know we talk about things that you really love or things that you really hate or things that make you angry well i don't really get angry about much and i said let me talk to your wife about that he goes well okay um my kids my kids frustrate me when they when when i've told them not to do something a thousand times and they still do it anyways and i'm like yes that is frustrating but we started talking about it, and I said, you know what? How many times has, you know, we know as adults, we know the right thing to do, but how many times have you broken your own standard? How many times have you failed? Oh, a lot, a lot, a lot. Okay, and how does God love you? Is God in heaven looking at you like, oh, get it together? Right? And he's like, well, he, actually, he's like, I kind of think, yeah, God is like that. I got to unpack, I got to package, or unpackage the gospel and tell them, no, that's not what God is. God's completely satisfied in Christ with you. God is pleased with you. God doesn't have all these expectations on you. It's a life of grace now. And, he started, and I started saying, I said, listen, I bet, I bet if I asked your kids and I asked your wife, if there was this unspoken expectation over them to perform, I bet they would say yes. I bet they would say they feel, this is it, man. I know from experience. I bet if I asked your wife and kids, if they felt judged by you, I bet you they would say, yeah, we feel judged by you. You might not be verbally doing it. You might not be having this written standard. You might be thinking, I'm not judgmental. I love them. I'm gonna... But I bet you they have this feeling of being judged when they're around you. And he said, well, maybe. And we talked a little bit more and, and we said, all right, well, well, you know, let's talk about it next week or whatever. And then the next, that, that day we, we went to work out a few hours later. And, uh, well, first off, I said, you know, that's not the gospel, right? God knows our sins. God knows our failures. God knows we could never measure up. God knows we're completely broken. We're worse than we ever thought possible, but we're simultaneously more loved than we could ever hoped. We don't walk in our own righteousness because we continue to sin and we continue to fall short. But this is why God gives us an imputed righteousness or an alien righteousness. It's the righteousness of Christ. So when you become a Christian, God gives you the righteousness of Christ. So now he looks at you like he looks at Jesus. When he looks at you, he sees his son. Jesus was absolutely perfect. Never sinned, never made a mistake. Perfect listener to the Father. You get that same standard. So God is infinitely happy with you. He's pleased with you. He loves you. He wants to spend time with you. He's not like, come on, if this person would stop doing that, we could talk. It's not the way God works. <clears throat> 
So I said, I bet your kids and your wife might feel judged by you even though you don't actually say that or maybe even consciously think it. Because this, the way that we see God and the way we, we relate to God affects how we relate to everyone else. So if I'm seeing God as this kind of judgmental guy up there who's not really pleased with me enough or he's not pleased with Christ, so I'm always having to perform. Have I prayed enough today? Okay, I only prayed for 15 minutes. I guess I can't have a good relationship with God today. Have I read my Bible enough today? Oh, I haven't read my Bible enough, so I guess God's still kind of ticked off at me, so I better not ask him for anything today. We have this legalistic, moralistic idea, and that's not the gospel. So this was, this is I'm perfect. I loved it. So I get to see him that, later on that day as we're going to work out. And he comes up to me and he says, dude, I got to tell you something. I go, all right. He goes, I went home and I kind of asked my wife the same theological question we were talking about. I'm like, how do you see God as judge? And then he turns around, turns on the faucet, right? In the sink. And then you, I'm sure he heard, <sighs> right? He says, he turned around, he realized he had offended his wife, he realized he had did something, didn't really know what yet. And she said, you just asked me a really deep question that made me kind of uncomfortable. And then you just turned around and turned the faucet on. You like, basically, you just asked me something that made me really uncomfortable, then you just dismissed it. She goes, I know you're not judging me right now, but I feel like you are. He's like, oh. He comes, I said, when we saw, when he, I saw him that later that day, and I just laughed, and I said, God is obviously speaking to you. That's confirmation. God is obviously after you right now. And if we listen, if we become good listeners, we get to hear the Father graciously correct us, graciously love us towards greater intimacy with Him. Listening with gospel ears. As the family of God, as servants, as good missionaries, we are and we should be good listeners. Now, the next rhythm, I'm going to go through three and we're going to go through pretty quick. The next rhythm is one of the easiest and it's called, we just call it celebrate. Think about how often we celebrate things. It's a natural expression of our humanity across all cultures and contexts. Um, last night, we got to celebrate Joel and Julia's wedding. It was a wonderful celebration filled with a lot of fun, laughter, good times, food, drink. It was a great night. We celebrate birthdays. We celebrate graduations. We celebrate wins. We celebrate games. We celebrate holidays. Celebration is written into our DNA. Celebration is a part of being a human. It's a natural way to express being human. But as Christians... We have the best reasons to celebrate in the world. As sinners saved by sheer grace, we have much to celebrate. As the family of God who have been adopted into the family by grace, we should be showing the world how to celebrate. You've probably never heard this before. Being a Christian should be marked by celebration. At Sacred City, we want to show this rhythm by celebrating often. We celebrate just, I mean, gathering here together. This is a celebration of missional communities coming together, being thankful for what God has done in Christ for our redemption, for our love, for our future, for our hope. We celebrate that way. We throw a party every time a new missional community launches. We call it a birthday celebration. Every time we give birth to a new missional community, we throw a party. By the way, spontaneous 
birth announcement right here. Uh, this Wednesday night, we're starting a new missional community at my house. If you've been waiting to join one or if, you, um, if you're from the Iowa side and you want to join a missional community, we're starting a new one. Um, what we're going to do, we were going to just meet at my house, but uh, I got confronted by my elders and men who love me and say, we celebrate this kind of stuff, Justin. You can't just launch a missional community. We need to throw a party first. Right? This is a rhythm. This is natural. I like that. So Wednesday night, we're going to meet at 11th Street Precinct, 6 o'clock. Anybody and everybody's welcome. And we're going to celebrate the birth of a new missional community in our family. We're excited about that. We celebrate holidays together. The 4th, we had some big parties and stuff. We, We celebrate a lot together. If you don't know how to celebrate and enjoy the grace of God, you are showing the world a misrepresentation of our gracious God. I bet you've probably never heard that. If you don't know how to party and how to laugh and how to enjoy the grace of God, you are teaching your kids that your God is a Debbie Downer. And that's a lie. This is not the gospel, and that is not who God is. Do you remember the story of the prodigal sons? The whole, the whole story of the prodigal sons. You got one who goes buck wild and he's hanging out with prostitutes. You got another one who's staunchly conservative and stays home but rejects the father's love anyways. Two rebellious sons. How does the story end? With a party for the whole city. We miss that. Right? He was lost, now he's found, throw a party. The Bible says when one sinner comes to, know, comes to know Christ and comes in by faith, that the angels rejoice and throw a party. Um, if you're familiar with Jesus and the story of the wedding celebration in Cana, they ran out of wine at the wedding, and what does Jesus do? He makes water into wine. Love it. Party's not over. Crank it up. Here's a bunch of water pots full of wine. Hold on. What kind of wine does Jesus bring to the party? The best wine. Party tip. (laughs) As Christians, we should bring the better wine to the celebration. Why? Because we have better reasons to celebrate. It's Friday. Woohoo! That's all you got? We have a risen Savior. Every week we have a ri- every day we wake up with a risen savior. We wake up with the righteousness of Christ on us, clothed in the righteousness of Christ. We are our sins are no longer counted against us anymore. We have reason to rejoice every day. Every day we're not in hell is a reason to rejoice. We have so many things to be grateful for. What is God at, how is God at work in your family right now? How is God at work in your life? How are you seeing the Father more clear than you were a year ago? This is reason to rejoice and celebrate. The Spirit is at work here. We got to baptize people a few weeks ago. There's reasons to rejoice. Some of us, maybe you're in a darker season where you're beginning to see your sin for the first time. I know it doesn't feel like it. That's reason to rejoice. You're seeing your sin Everybody else saw it before. But now you get to see it. That's good. And you get to see how the blood of Jesus Christ has cleansed you from it, has washed you from it, and how you've been saved to walk in newness of life. It's a good thing. 
Celebrations are a common grace given to us by God, but as Christians with a firm understanding of grace and the gospel, we can use celebrations as a vehicle to point people to Jesus and the kingdom of God. You remember how the kingdom of God is going to start in the new heavens and new earth? With a wedding celebration. With a wedding feast. Like, paganism in the world and in the cultures of today didn't invent partying. God invented celebration. God invented partying. This could look like celebrating fight nights. Maybe you have a fight night at your house. You enjoy, you have some guys over, girls over, have some food, have some drinks. You enjoy fights. You're building relationships. This could look like having uh, your friends and family over. Uh, could be having a block party. Maybe you have a whole neighborhood block party and you just throw a big celebration. Why? Just because we want to bless the neighborhood. Because in Christ, there's a lot to celebrate. So we want to be celebrating people. We want to bring the better wine to the party. We have reason to be happy and to be joyful. So we just want to bless you. This could look like inviting neighbors, friends, coworkers into your missional community every week and just celebrating there. There's reasons to celebrate. And sometimes you just don't even need a reason to celebrate. Right? We've got eternal reasons. Now, now, the last gospel rhythm we're going to talk about today, I saved it for last. So do you see how these are, hold on, do you see how these are normal things? Let's be good listeners. We already do that. Let's be good listeners. Let's celebrate and celebrate often with gospel intentionality. Let's have the gospel motivating our listening. Let's have the gospel motivating our celebrating. So obviously this means in my celebration, I don't throw off all restraint and go into hedonism and I don't drink till I get drunk and I don't go buck wild, you know, too crazy and do all those things. I I stay in control. I enjoy a glass of wine or whatever, but I'm not being mastered by it. Right? The last one we're going to talk about today is eat. Eat. Food is the common language of all people. This is pretty interesting. As, as I was studying this this week, Jesus, the scripture says Jesus came three specific times. It says like this. Jesus, the son of man, came to seek and save the lost. Probably heard that before. That's one. Second one, he came to give his life as a ransom for others. Third one, he came eating and drinking. Now, that's kind of shocking to me. Three times it says, this is why the Son of Man came. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. The Son of Man came to give his life as a ransom for sinners. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. Isn't that crazy? Tim Chester Uh, In his great book, A Meal with Jesus, says the first two expressions are why Jesus came to save the lost, to pay the ransom, and the last is how Jesus came. So Jesus came to seek and save the lost. He came to give his life as a ransom, but how did he do it? He did it through eating and drinking. Now, I'm going to do this really quick. Luke chapter 5. Jesus eats with the notorious sinner, notorious sinners and tax collectors. Luke chapter 7, Jesus is anointed at Simon's house during a meal. 
Luke chapter 9, Jesus feeds 5,000. Luke chapter 10, Jesus eats with Martha and Mary. Luke chapter 11, Jesus condemns the Pharisees and religious lawyers at a meal. Luke chapter 14, Jesus teaches about inviting the poor and sick people to a meal while at a meal. Luke chapter 19, Jesus eats with Zacchaeus. Luke chapter 22, Jesus shares the Last Supper with His disciples. Luke chapter 24, the risen and resurrected Jesus shares a meal with His disciples. Now that's some Star Trek stuff. Resurrected Jesus, we have stories of Him walking through walls, and somehow He eats a, eats a meal. I don't know how this works, but I believe it because it's, it's in the Bible. Okay, I want you to see this. This is so... Um, there's so much eating... Jesus does so much eating and drinking in the scriptures. Theologian Robert Karras says this, In Luke's gospel, Jesus is either going to a meal, at a meal, or coming from a meal. How many times have you heard sermons on eating, right? Somebody's out there going, Amen, let's do this. I've been waiting for this one. Listen, Jesus was labeled by those looking in on Him and His ministry. He was labeled... As a glutton and a drunkard. That's how he was labeled. The religious people looked at him and said, He eats too much. He drinks too much. He's a glutton and a drunkard. Now we know Christ never sinned, so he never ate too much and he never drank too much, but he obviously ate a lot and he drank a lot to get that label. This is a picture of the gospel, this is a snapshot of the grace of God. In the life of Jesus, meals meals were a means to living out the gospel, community, and mission. Meals were a means to living out the gospel, community, and mission. Meals were more than food. They were social occasions. They represented friendship, community, and welcome. Tim Chester in that same book says, I don't want to reduce church and mission to meals. That's not what I'm trying to do. But I do want to argue that meals should be an integral and significant part of our shared life together. The way Jesus ate with people is a picture of the gospel and grace of God and the future life in His coming kingdom. Jesus was radically welcoming and His table was open. He shared His meals with all types of people. He ate with liberals. He ate with conservatives. He ate with prostitutes. He ate with lawyers. He ate with tax collectors. And He ate with fishermen. This is how Jesus invited people into His life and kingdom. He's not just sharing the gospel. He's sharing His life with them. Christians are notorious for wanting to share the gospel with people, but keep away from me. I might get dirty. My kids might see your Harry Potter book and freak out and start worshiping Satan. Stay away. So we create absolutely ridiculous superheroes like Bible Answer Man. That is not a cool superhero. We would like to, as Christians, retreat to our subdivision and our cul-de-sac and put up our fences and lob gospel bombs from the air. Here, let's track bomb this person. Let's leave the track. Let's not tip, 
but leave a little gospel track on the table for the waitress. You can take that gospel and put it back in your wallet. Ridiculous. Jesus shared his life and the gospel. Paul shared his life and the gospel. As family, as missionaries, as servants, as learners, we share our life and the gospel. Jesus' message wasn't come to church as much as it was come, let's eat. Then at dinner, when the food and the wine were flowing, Jesus would listen for a cue and teach about his gospel and his kingdom. Jesus taught while he ate. This is what Jesus did. And this is what we do as his brothers and sisters. This is why we eat together every week at Missional Community. It's not like the warm-up for Missional Community. This is a part of Missional Community. We eat together. We're family. This is why most of our fight clubs happen around a table with food and drink. This is why we meet at 11th Street Precinct for celebrations, for Sacred City Seminary. Food is integral It's the language of all people. You sit down, you have a drink, you have food with them. Conversation flows. The gospel flows naturally into those conversations. If you eat three meals a day, you're you're eating 21 meals a week. Why not share three to four of those meals with friends, family, neighbors, coworkers, outsiders to disciple them towards a life of dependence on God? You eat 21 meals a week. Why not share three to four of those per week with other people? All for the purpose of discipling them towards a life of God. So many Christians think, what do you mean disciple them? If they're an outsider, if they're not a Christian, how do I disciple a non-Christian? Discipleship, is, discipleship doesn't start once a person gives their life to Christ. Discipleship starts at the point of relationship. I'm discipling this person one step closer to Christ. One step closer to Christ. One step closer to believing the gospel. Oh, he's welcoming. Oh, he eats. Oh, he... This is the context of discipleship. Now listen, we love gatherings on Sunday to celebrate what God has done for us in Christ. I love preaching the gospel. We love singing about the gospel. We love sharing gospel stories on Sunday. But what if, just what if our church was known more for bringing the gospel to people within the context of friendship around a table and a meal than we were for trying to gather people together on Sunday morning? What if we are known more for how we listen and how we celebrate and how we eat with people and bring the gospel to bear inside friendship, inside relationships, around a table, around a meal? What if we were known more for that than just trying to get people to Sunday morning? It's one of the things I pray for our church. I pray that we would be equipped We'd listen well to God, both backward and forward, so that we could listen to others, so we could celebrate appropriately, so we could eat together and share the gospel within those conversations that naturally develop around a table, around a cup of coffee, around a drink. It just so happens that when Jesus Christ 
the night that he, he's going to be betrayed, he doesn't write something down and say, here's my last will and testament. Read this for the next 3,000 years or so. This is what I want everyone to know. Here's the doctrine 101. What does Jesus do on the, the night he's going to be betrayed? What does Jesus do? He shares a meal. We call it the Last Supper. He takes bread and he breaks it and he says, this is my body broken for you. Go and do this likewise. He takes a cup. He says, this is the blood of the new covenant that I no longer will judge you based on what you do and don't do. Now, if you're in Christ, I judge you based on what Christ, what I, what he had done and was going to do on the cross. Jesus didn't leave us with theology 101. He left us with the meal. Today, as brothers and sisters in the family of God, we get to celebrate that meal. If you're in this room, and maybe you've been on the outside looking in at Christianity for a long time, I apologize for all the craziness that we do in the culture. You're not coming to Christ to be made into a conservative. You're not coming to Christ to be made into a Republican. You're not coming to Christ to be made into a little cookie-cutter robot. You're coming to Christ. The Son of God who lived a perfect life that you couldn't live. He ate with people. He was a normal guy, other than being the Son of God, you know, that whole thing. Then he died the death that all of us deserve because we're, we're, we're rebels. We want to do it our own way. We've sinned against the God. So we deserve hell and damnation. But Jesus Christ paid for that. He took hell upon himself. He took the wrath of God for us. That's coming. You're coming to him. And he's working in your heart right now. And all you do is put your faith in that. Put, it's like leaning on a table. You put all your weight into Christ. Not your own standard, not your own methods, not your own goodness or badness. You put all your weight in him. And if that's you this morning, I just I ask that you would pray and you would say, God, do that in me. Jesus, I want to come to you. And the scripture says no man can come to the Father unless the Spirit draws him. So if that's you, the Spirit is at work in you this morning. And for the believers in here that are going to come and take part in this. I pray that you would turn from your sin, that you would repent of the ongoing sin in your heart where you choose idols and you choose other things and, and you would rather hide away in your own cul-de-sac than really engage and eat with people because that confronts your pride. That can, makes you, that person's not good enough to eat with me. That, that's a sinful disposition of your heart that needs to be crushed. Jesus ate with poor, he ate with rich. He ate with black, he ate with white. He ate with prostitutes, he ate with the religious. His table was open, is yours. Father, I thank you that this table is open for baptized believers. And all types of people, all backgrounds, all socioeconomic standings, every neighborhood, many people are represented at this table. I thank you just how diversified your kingdom is. 
I thank you for what you've done for us in Christ. I pray that we're so captured by the real, authentic Jesus that our lives flow out of this identity into natural rhythms. Help us do these things to bring glory to your name and to your kingdom and make disciples who make disciples. In Jesus' name, amen.